Well, that was the great golden earring. Let me put a virtual background up here. What do I want today? Why don't we, uh, why don't we stay with the old eclipse map there? Let's do that. The upcoming eclipse map or the upcoming eclipse with the map of the eclipses that have already happened. Anyway, welcome to another edition of 15 Minutes Flame. I'm Robert Phoenix. And I just, I just realized that Robert Palmer you know, with the uh, the Amazonians addicted to love. I think golden earring is addicted to pain, right? That is the underlying theme of that, that video is pain. And you even have like the three, you know, kind of S&M, you know, kind of uh, standard Nazi, like, high kickers I come in and, and um, inject him with some sort of uh, some sort of sedative who knows what sodium pentothal maybe right and it, it's a film that's the video it's kind of steeped in paranoia it's like a very paranoid video but it also has a little bit of humor in it as well it's like even though things are really dark and there may be people that are out to get you. At the end of the day, just when you think you're about to be taken out by a firing squad, at the end, you're left there with a blindfold on. 
and nobody to set you free. That is really the message of the video. It's still kind of dark, right? In the end, is he is he shot in the end? There are moments in the video where we see him getting shot. But in the end, is he shot? He's 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 tied up, rigged up, wired up, ready to go. And then he's just left there by himself, contemplating the existential dread. If anyone will ever pull the trigger, and if they're not going to pull the trigger, then who's going to untie the blindfold? That is the metaphor for our time. Who's going to pull the damn trigger? When is it going to be over? That's us. That is us. Theoretically, right? That's who we are. Going through everything in that video, which is all trauma-based. Even the person that he has an attraction and a connection to and brings them into the sanctity of his bed as she disrobes and moves her lithe body gracefully across his. As she strides over him and begins to gently lower herself onto him, she reaches over and pulls out a gun. Right? The moment of ultimate trust. Two people naked with each other. Door closed. You can do anything you want. And what happens? She's there to kill him. That's a theme of the movie, of the, the video. And there's it's it's punctuated every now and then by strange little bits of dark humor. Again, and that's sort of like life too. Like every now and then when things just get too dark, creepy, or weird, there's always something to remind you to maybe not take it all so seriously. It's a great video. I mean, really, when you kind of look at it, it's kind of like the Mike and the Mechanics video from yesterday, which was really prescient in a lot of ways, like more prescient than I think they knew. And then, of course, we have uh, we have this, and that is actually like the, the when the bullet hits the bone is really much more timeless in a lot of ways. Because I think people had a sense of that feeling at times. To me, this seems very European. Europe, Europe and the history of Europe is kind of steeped in paranoia. You know, whether it's, you know, the, the, the post-World War II paranoia that, that creeps like a fog all the way up to the Berlin Wall that seeps through to the other side. I mean, there was a, there was a lot, lot of paranoia in Europe, post-war Europe. Will it happen again? Who can we trust? Right? That was all part of their, part of their script. Let me see if the you know what I need to I need to pay attention to the to the chat option the chat function. Twilight Zone is the name of the song. Golden Earring is the artist. And let me make sure the chat is on. And um, I I apologize for uh, being late today. Chat is on. Thank you, Steve. You did that. Appreciate that. Um, 
Got off to a rough start today. Man, I, I just I just completely over. Usually I'm good. I, like I'll get up 6 30, 7 a.m. And it takes me a while to get the motor going, but I get the motor going and then I hit the show. Today it was like I woke up at like 7.57. You, you know what happens, then all of a sudden the, the cortisol that's not there, right, is, is all of a sudden summoned. You know, it's it's kind of like starting an engine that doesn't have any gas. You just doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, it's a cascade effect. And then today I found out that um, I had to uh, do something with my mother, which is an appointment today. Still working that part out. We are still working it out. We're getting better. She coughs. We're getting better, but we're, we're working it out. So anyway, thank you for being here. Uh, for those of you that are here and thank you for for waiting i just needed to I, I in fact i even needed to take care of some business in between all of this and i had to reschedule some appointments um and you know the the, the really the big news here is um you know that i'm i'm moving right like a lot of people uh like some of you know that but you know officially this thing is happening like next week you know we close on uh, a new place, right? So I'll be taking my mother to Kerrville, which is where the new base of operations is gonna gonna happen. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna miss this place that I'm in now. Um, it, uh, it, I have a real strong connection to being here for the last two years uh, because it's been in the country and kind of isolated and. Um, it's not perfect at all. The house is old. It's got some flaws, but it's big. You know, I have, I've got four rooms here. I've got three bathrooms. It's probably over 2,800 square feet. It's on um, quarter, uh, one and a quarter acres. So there's room. It's space, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very Jupiterian, Jupiter, the fourth house kind of, kind of space. I like it. I like big houses. Um, so we're downsizing a bit. That's that's part of the can be part of the challenge. Um, but we're 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 actually getting to a place where um, we're going to be able to handle the finances better, right? So uh, you know the, the 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 blueprint is that my mother lived in California all of her life. For well, not all of her life. She she moved there I think in her twenties. So this is the first place that she's moved outside of California, but she's she lived in a, a condo she had purchased in 2010. Uh, and she got this condo as a result of a foreclosure sale. And the price of that condo was ridiculously cheap based on today's market. And of course, you know, she had her health crisis and I finally convinced her to, 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 to come here and move here. So that would mean that we would wind up selling her place. We could have probably rented it out. Just, that would have been a no-brainer. Somebody would have rented it. But then, you know, so we'd have to hire a management company and they'd have to be able to 
you know, make sure that the rent was paid on time. And if something happened to the place and, you know, when somebody else lives in your place, it just appreciates in value because you know, they don't always take care of it. Right. So that wasn't really on the table. So we, we had this Promethean move. It was really like, like something, it, it, everything's, you know, started to start in May. And I said, we got to be out here by the end of June. And then everything got mobilized and my mother's church kicked into gear and they helped her with everything and bang, we were, we were out of there by the end of June. And, and the pond was sold on the first day, right? We got an offer that was above asking price. Like they wanted to make sure they got that. They got that. My mother took really good care of the place. And so we got above asking price. Whoa. And, you know, it was significant. Right. It, the, the, like what they paid for this was significantly more than what my mother paid for the condo originally. So the idea here is to um, just take that money and just move it right into a right into a house. And um, that that's been an interesting experience, um, like looking at the housing market, watching what the housing market is doing, inventory again, you know. Speaking of paranoia, I just didn't want to leave that money in the bank. That's too much money to be left in the bank. So um, that's what's happening. Next next week is you know, we close on this place. So the cool thing about it is it'll have a studio, and I'll be able to continue to do this, which is great. It was one of the things that we were, you know, ultimately looking for as far as our checklist, right? The things that we needed. It's not a it's not a small place. It's not as big as this. It doesn't have the same available land. I'm living in a neighborhood. That will be weird. Like, I don't live in a neighborhood here. My neighbors are the crows, the vultures, the sheep, the stray cats. Those are my neighbors. But this is going to be a neighborhood. So I'm going to get up in the morning and, uh, hey, hey, Tom. How's it going, Tom? Bill, good to see you. How you doing? I'm not a bad neighborhood guy. I've lived in neighborhoods. I like to think I add something to the neighborhood that I'm in. But you never know, right? Like these people could have been around for years. Like, oh, there are those new people. What's he all about? And it has a backyard. It has trees. I'd be tempted to do a podcast from the backyard again. But you never know with the name. Like my neighbor, in uh, when I was doing the when I was doing the tree cast in Fredericksburg, my my neighbor didn't give a shit. My neighbor was a wild man. You know, one day we were talking about wild boar, and I said, "Yeah, man, I'd I'd love to, I'd love to try some wild boar." <laughs> so one day he knocks on my door and he brings over a garbage bag. And inside the garbage bag is, you know, this skinned wild boar, right? Like, I, I don't think that, I don't think the head was on it. I think they kept the head, but it was the entire body. So I got, I got to process this, this wild boar, right? Right, right on my kitchen table. And um, he was a wild man. He, apparently he had some kind of, um, internet hunting show at one point like a reality internet hunting show which i which i thought was really interesting and i remember walking into his house 
and it was this was the house of a hunter. You know it, you, how you can just kind of smell flesh, like the odor of flesh in the air. Like like man, this is fleshy in here. And it, you know, and it looked a little place looked a little rough around the edges, a little rough around the edges. Of course, you had trophies on the wall, and it's like this guy is doing a part time living job, and he's got a part time processing plant in here. This is really what it was. Uh, he was I liked him though. He was he was a good dude. So you never know. You never know what you're going to get in the neighborhood, right? So they never know who they're going to get as a neighbor. That's the other side of it. And um, so the plan is, of course, we have the event coming up. And the plan is to have this year's after party at the new place. So you're just going to get be able to get right in your car, just go drive right down the road and hang out at the new place. Now, we won't physically move into the new place, even though we take possession of it um until probably november because i just want all the smoke to clear with but let's not make that sort of a pre uh a precognitive descriptor right no i want everything to just settle down after the event i also want to wait till saturn goes direct here's astrology in action so saturn and pisces and i've got saturn going through my my uh fifth house Fourth house, right? Fourth. So it's just home. So I want to, I want a fresh ramp up and fresh start. Saturn going direct in Pisces into my fourth house so that we're not having to deal with things. You know, we could use that Saturn retrograde time to do stuff. Like my mother wants to have, she's big on replacing carpet. And it doesn't have carpet in some of the bedrooms. So she wants that done. Well, that's a Saturn retrograde moment. Boom, we'll get that done. I'm also a privacy guy. And like I can see in everybody else's fucking backyard. That means a fence is going to be built. And the fence will be built hopefully before we have the event. I don't want anybody coming in watching what we're doing, right? Who are those people? What are they all about? Does he have a cult over there? The fence goes up. The fence goes up, the carpets go in. That's going to be all the Saturn retrograde stuff. We're going to we're going to redo everything we need so that when we finally move in in November, I mean, this is the plan. And, most, and sometimes the plans work. So far, so good. Right. And um, that's what we're going to do. And then everything will be turnkey, ready to go. We're done. And we're we're happy campers. And um, that'll be where this will happen from this point forward. And, uh, you know, my mother will be mortgage-free. Um, we'll have to deal with the property taxes, which are not, they're not terrible, but they're not great. And um, the ever-increasingly uh, difficult prospect of insurance, which is uh, getting harder and harder for people. So those are our biggest challenges of uh, being on, uh, like, city uh municipalities i'm on i'm on a county power out here but i'm also on a well here uh, so if anything ever happened with water it wouldn't be an issue and i could use as much water as i can there it might be a bit different because now we're dealing with the, the good thing about kerrville versus fredericksburg is kerrville has the guadalupe river which runs right through town it's a major source of water 
Uh, and even when we have a drought period, the river is still pretty robust. So um, there's also uh, springs, wells, aquifers. Um, it's much, as, as, a, as a location, Kerrville is way more aqueous than Fredericksburg, which is much drier. So I think that bodes pretty well. Um, and then it comes down to, do we you know, want to kick out for a generator just in case the power goes out, which it has been known to do here. Um, and that's, that's really it. You know, it's mostly pretty turnkey operation. And that all, that all happens uh, next week. And even though things are Mercury retrograde, we started everything prior to Mercury retrograde. And that's one of the things that I like to um, talk about, you know, when it comes to Mercury retrograde. If you begin something with Mercury retrograde and you, you know, we signed all the paperwork prior to it all, right? It's done, right? The escrow will take place on Mercury retrograde, but I don't have a problem with that. It's when you start the process and you start all the paperwork and you go in and you bid and and that's when things can go south. All that's in the rear view mirror, right? Okay, um, let's get into you guys. Let's see who's here today. Uh, there's Michael, what's happening? It is Thursday and there is my good man, Steve. What's happening, Steve and TJ? Sheila Sampson, roar like a lion. Sheila, Kabuki Theater, what's going on? Bo Crossfire, Cat, what's happening, CC? D. Tiffer, glad to caught the live. I'll be listening and working. Good. All right. Mr. Key is here. Harriet Boo Seven, uh, crushing the 80s jams this week. You know, I almost went with Der Conversar by uh, After the Fire. I kind of like that song. The Falco version is good. But it, it's you know, the thing about Der Conversar is it's kind of like rap. It's like Cockney rap in some ways. Uh, let's see. Sony's back. The classy one. What's happening, Sony? You've been missed. People have been asking about you. Double K, Catherine Kramer. Crossfire Cat, excuse me while I dance. Appropriate tunage, right? Yeah, I think so, Bo. I agree. Tapping into the remembering. That's such a, it's a fire track. Kelly B's here. What's happening, Kelly B? Those 80s videos, they, are, they always felt compelled to tell a movie, right? Let's make a movie. This song is a movie. We'll make a movie in three and a half to four minutes. That's what those 80s videos are about. More. Uh, Mare, more. Mare. It's our gal in NYC. Uh, we are horses dancing, not dancing horses. I like that. Uh, Larry has a gift for me. Okay. Good. I had lunch yesterday with Jamie. All right. Jamie is, of course, a hardcore Chatarian uh, who moved down to Panama and uh, has a connection with Lynn. That's cool. I hope you had a good time with Larry. Would anyone be bothered if I typed in caps? I have to type in caps for my job. No, type away, cap away, Kelly B. Look at Tom. Everybody's going in caps. <laughs> I love it. You know what that reminds me of? I think it was a bad move. Um, it reminds me of when the American men's volleyball team 
they had a guy who was in remission with cancer and who had lost his hair. And the American men's volleyball team was uh, was dominant, right? They were dominant. And something happened. I forget what caused them to do this. But they all, all the men's volleyball team, you know, Karch, Karai, and all those guys, they were just, you know, those, they were the beach bum badasses of volleyball. And they all shaved their heads. And I thought, well, it's kind of cool, but your hair is the thing that's the antennae that lets you that lets you communicate with each other. And I had this funny feeling when they shaved their heads that it was not going to go well. And sure enough, that they were favored and they they did not do well. So this is that moment. This is the everybody shaved their head moment. I like it. You guys are off awesome. It's not being paranoid if they're really out to get you. You it's, you both have the same line. That's good. That would be a snuff music video. Crosshair cat, you're onto something. Trump on Tucker is up to almost 200 million views. What does Trump have to say that he hasn't already said? Well, I think he's going in on Biden and the corruption stuff. I think he's going in on Biden and corruption stuff in a very direct way. Oh, my kind of racy for my morning. Well, that's we want to get the blood going. Look at that. Julie Sunshine. She needs more sleep, too. Kabuki and Thor on the same thought train, right? It's good. Closing on a, no, it's fine. I'm good with it. I just, I just, uh, you, my people have always asked me, as long as you get your paperwork done, out of the way, inspections done, out of the way, pre-mercury retrograde, I don't have a problem with it. No need for apologies. Thank you. Texas size house. This is a Texas size house that I'm in. This other house isn't small. Um, it's 2,000 plus square feet. And the bonuses of this uh, other place is the studio space that um, they built on. It's an add-on. And that's where the show will take place is the studio space. Plus, we have a nice little um, like sunroom. It's enclosed uh, in the back, right? So that gives us some extra room as well. And um, it'll be fine. It's got a big garage. You know, it's it's a lot. If, for some of you who were at the South Creek House in Fredericksburg, it's a lot like the South Creek House. It's got, it's got similar features in some ways. So there you go. You seemed at ease there, Robert. Change, the only constant. Yeah, no, this has been good. You know, I've, I've loved this place. Um, it is clearly, it's not, it's not perfect. Uh, I'm not sure what place is, but it, you know, every time I've made a move, and it really started, you know, when um, I was in the apartment here in Fredericksburg, and I, and I did the show uh, in one room. And then I had um, my bedroom, 
and did I have another? I think that was it. I think I just had. No, and I had another room, which was where my son slept. Or no, I take that back. That was a that was a two bedroom place. That's right. I had a two bedroom because <laughs> my son really wasn't spending a lot of time with me then. Um, so it was a two bedroom place, a two bedroom, two bath, and um, it had a, a tiny deck. And so the master bedroom was where I did the show, and then I moved my bed into the the other bedroom. And when that ran, when when I was ready to move from there, I was like, okay, I need to I need to get a house. And I, I almost moved to Kerrville then. I was, I was, I'd found this place in Kerrville. It was a three-two. Um, it had a smallish backyard. Uh, the rent was reasonable. And then at the last minute, I changed my mind. And then I found the place on South Creek, which the terms were kind of in the same pocket, in the same zone. And it was closer. So I made that move. And it was like, okay, well, I, I needed to upgrade, right? It's like, I got to get out of the apartment. I can't deal with this anymore. Um, so then I, I said, let me get it. Let me rent a house. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll rent a house. And that worked. And I, and I hadn't rented a house since my time in California in Point Richmond. So it was, you know, back to a different kind of experience. And um, and then when the lease ran out on that place, which was only one year, of course, that's when everybody was buying like crazy. And they set up all these Airbnbs out here. And I was I was kind of in the crosshairs with that. I thought, OK, if I'm going to move again, I need to upgrade and get a bigger place. Right. So my, my plan since, you know, the exodus from the apartment life has been upgrading. And even though this place is somewhat smaller um clearly the terms and conditions are an upgrade so i don't that's and then you know the evolution of uh, physical occupancy you know moves on right and it, there'll be another probably evolution at some point as well all right moving is always traumatic well if you saw the shit i had you would agree with i would agree with you the stray cats will find you they always do it would be great if we all lived in the same neighborhood Tom, that's actually part of the plan. That's part of the long-term plan. So let me share my long-term plan with you guys. My long-term plan is to purchase enough land so that it could accommodate two layers of lifestyle. Okay, one layer of lifestyle would be essentially like 10 to 12 plots of half acre land. And on that half acre land, you could get like a tiny home, right? And like you buy that, that is your half acre, right? You, you. You you build the tiny home. I don't build the tiny home. You build the tiny home. That's your half acre. And you can sell that half acre, right? You can sell it. If you wanted to, you could sell it. That is That would be your half acre. And, um, you know, there would be some, there would be some TNCs, obviously, with something like that. So, you know, there would be maybe 
an opportunity of, you know, 10 to 12 sort of half acre plots, right? And then the other part of this idea that I have, and, and by the way, that'd be more permanent. The, the other part would be more transient. And that would include maybe about another uh, four to five acres of land that was developed for a temporary RV use. So that would be pads, right, and hookups. And then there would be amenities there, like, you know, like a outdoor movie theater at night, um, ice cream, maybe some healing stuff going on, right? But fun, right? Like, like if you wanted to go to a place and have a good time because of what was there and the amenities, this would be the place you know, like maybe a food truck or something like there would be, you, you know, you, you could just go there and you just hang out there if you wanted to, or you could go explore and do other things. Right. So we'd have a ring of what I would call semi-permanent residents because nobody's permanent. And then we would have an outer ring of people that could show up between, you know, a week to a weekend, two weeks, whatever. Right. And they could circulate through. So it'd be an interesting experiment in uh, permanence and permeability. And um, so that's what, that's ultimately the goal. That's the goal. I could make the goal happen now because there are too many moving pieces, right? It's not ready yet, but maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, in two years that we'll be in a place where we can do something like that. And, and I don't have a problem with like, you know, figuring out a creative way to do it, you know, and maybe that's something that we can even talk about at the event, because if, if, if we were to do something like that, right. And of course I, I certainly would, you know, put up my own money. It's not like I'm, hey, you guys, I'm not going to do a Noah and Benjamin, okay? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that, um, I'm not that daring. Um, but, you know, the idea is like, let's say you uh, got a, a half an acre and your half an acre was $50,000, which is not a bad deal, actually, especially if you're going to be in a place where, you know, we could, you know, you could own that half acre. Like it's going to be your half acre, right? You pay that in advance and then we can drum up maybe $600,000 in cash. And then we bring another $600,000 in cash to the table, right? Maybe more. And then we've got, you know, about a million and a half. Then we, you get a million and a half dollars in a place like Texas or maybe some other location. Of course, you'll get more in another location, but you can actually get something decent and then develop it. That's actually my plan. That's the long-term plan. And uh, so Tom kind of hit on it. And, um, and, and part of the reason why I want to do this, and it's not the only reason why, but part of the reason why I want to do this is, you know, I have clients who, uh, and women who are older and like, you know, who, mid to late seventies plus, and they got nobody. They've got nobody. 
And I'm like, where are these people going to go? Right. And, you know, we can't save everyone, but I'd like to have the ability for, for some of these folks to be able to come to a place. And there's, you know, a bit of a community around them and they don't have to go to, um, you know, assisted living or, you know, maybe they're not into something like the villages or whatever. It's not, I'm not creating it to solve everybody's problems, but there are cases where it's like, okay, well, maybe this would be the right thing for you to do. Right. So anyway, that is the long-term plan. And this is a um, kind of a, a, a roundabout way to get there. Right. Cause it's not ready yet, but it will be. Okay. Who else do we have? Lila's here. Uh, let's see. Grow food that is on a vine on your fence. Like to run around in your birthday suit. We can fence that off. Um, you will not miss the rural internet. That is true. Thank you for reminding me of that, Bo. Past Lives Matter is here. I live in my beloved woods. I got a new neighbor who cut down a shit ton of trees and sold the wood. Broke my heart. There you go. Am I auto-tuning? No, I'm not. Does it sound like it? I apologize for that. Moira. Thank you. I will never forget. Moira. I will never forget. I don't know why I have such a block around it. I apologize. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. What else do we have here? Rocky's here. What's happening on Rocky? What's going on? Uh, no coincidence. I spun vinyl last night. Star Wars and Stranger Things. Let's see. Jasper and Peachy will need some CBD for that move. No doubt. Maybe I won't be harassed by scorpions there. I'll take scorpions over uh, the Homeowners Association any day. Oh, Kelly, you, you started back then when I was in the apartment. Oh, that's interesting. That's a ways back. That was like 2018, 2017. Uh, my house is huge, five bedrooms. Holy smokes. That is a that is a mansion. Cremo, I'm coming. Rocky, me too. Now that's the plan. That is the plan. The, no HOAs, but there, you do have to have a few things in place. And I think mostly related to the transfer and sale of the property. Yeah, that's that's what I want to do, Kelly. I think that's or a sweet little yurt. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. I do have three planets in Libra. So I am kind of into aesthetics. Uh, let's see. Yes, people need to find their own experience with the freedom to walk away if needed. Freedom and privacy of the shared community. Well, you know, I don't have any problem with people being able to sell their, their thing, right? I don't have a problem with it. You buy it, you sell it. Um, 
the, the challenge and what's tricky is that let's say you start off with an original kind of, you know, you sound a tone and people resonate with the tone and they're in. The people that come after that may not always resonate with the tone. So, you know, that's just that, that that's, that's what happens with community. I want to be the trailer park king. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. Do you guys ever see that movie with uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, Tommy Lee Jones? I forget the name of it. It's one of these kind of throwaway movies. But Morgan Freeman, is he's, he's like the godfather of this retirement community. And he's actually in a witness protection program. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my goal is to actually do the show from that place, right? I want to do the show from that place. And I want to be able to change the content of the show. Like, you know, I want the regulars, you know, who live there to, you know, come on and be a part of the show. Um, I want guests who live, you know, who show up for a weekend or a week. And if they're interesting, they can be a part of the show. Right. I, I want kind of a, a, a Carson styled show at the trailer park or whatever we want to call it. That's my goal. Right. And I want it and I want to do it kind of, you know, at a time where people are kind of going to sleep. Right. Like we could do it at, you know, eight o'clock at night and we could do it live. We could air it later. But that's my goal. I want to play Johnny Carson before um, I ascend to the next plane. I want to be the Johnny Carson of trailer parks. It's it's a humble goal but reachable. Let's see. Somehow I knew this plan fam would come five years ago. Your life. EFO and Benjamin. It'd be nice to have enough land to be self-sufficient. So Tom, that's, that's a really good point. If you're going to do that, you need a lot of fucking land though. Right. A lot of land. And um, my goal is to try to um, be as close to water as possible. That means a river, small river, large creek, pond, like, like I want to, I'm not huge on growing things. It takes a lot of effort to grow things a lot of effort and the seasons are tempestuous, but what you can count on mostly is water. If you have a decent enough supply and connection to it, so you can fish, um, you know, I think uh, algae uh, is very underrated as a resource. Um, you can tap into hydroponics. Um, that's really what I want to do. I don't, I don't, I'm not into having a farming community. Chickens are fine. We could have a lot of chickens. I don't have a problem with that. You know, plenty of eggs, not a problem with that. I think chickens would be great. Um, other than that, you know, I, I don't know if I'd want to raise cows to slaughter the cows. I'd much prefer to go to the river or the pond or whatever and, and get our fish if we needed to do that. I've kind of thought this through a little bit. 
Uh, no Obens. Let's see. Beth Berry's here. What's happening? Yeah, no, I, I, that's kind of the plan. I don't want to have a huge community. I don't want to have to be responsible for like a hundred tiny home people. I want it to be manageable. And then I, I also want the permeability of people that come and go and come and go and come and go. And look, if the shit hit the fan, all those paths that are have been basically created and hooked up for temporary residents, they could be used, right? And if you have a, a mobile home or a motor home or whatever, and you need a place to go and you can provide something, here's your pad. So it has, it has some flexibility. I've thought this through. The owl behind me on the bookcase. He's right over there. I stare at the owl every day. He's looking at me. Uh, aesthetics are very important. So much potential in that kind of living community. I agree. I agree. I've always wanted to build you a state-of-the-art podcasting environment. Well, you're going to come. You're going to be there, and you'll be part of the state-of-the-art uh, podcasting barn. Absolutely. And, and I want a live show. I want a cool fucking show. I want to be the Johnny Carson of trailer parks. Let's see. Greenhouse. I like the greenhouse. I like the greenhouse effect. No raising cattle. Not. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, let's see. Human scale and B. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. I'm. I'm. You know. If you tap me on my shoulder, you know, when I was around 30, 35, and said, "Hey, you know, go out to the land and go do some," I could do it. I I could do it. I have Saturn and Capricorn, second house. I could break that shovel. Trying Pluto. At 63, I could do some things, but not as many as I could when I was 33. All right, I want to play you guys something. And I said that this show is a lot about nothing, but also everything. Um, I want to I want to play you something that I I saw yesterday, and it's kind of a good Mercury retrograde man. And uh, let me see if I can find this thing. Here it is, right here. This is a newscast from April 2nd, 1978. It originates in Washington, D.C. And the sportscaster is Martin Wyatt, who would eventually wind up in California over at uh, KGO. And Martin was always a cool character. He was even cooler in Washington, I have to say. But I want to play this for you. Um, and, I, and, I, and I just, it just screams at how asleep we were 
at the time. And what a Manchurian candidate Jimmy Carter was. It's the lead segment. And um, I'm going to play this. And you guys are going to see something that'll make your head scratch. Okay. Looking, looking like they're ready to rip right into the 80s there, right? It's like, here we go. The 1980s are beckoning you with their little droids. Looking a lot like Apple in the Apple uh, 2C or the, the uh, uh, what is it, the uh, Apple SE or whatever they were. Does it look like that? And they weren't even around then. I wonder if Steve Jobs was paying attention. Okay, here we go. Let's get into this. It's 11 o'clock in the nation's capital. Martin Wyatt has highlights of the bullets, caps. Notice the rainbow. Golf, you name it. Paul Anthony has the week's weather outlook. I'm Ann Sawyer. This is news. A joint communique winding up President Carter's visit to Nigeria indicates that country does not share his displeasure over Cuban and Soviet personnel in Africa. The communique does not mention the issue at all, although President Carter stressed it frequently during his visit. The president winds up his overseas tour tomorrow with a four-hour stop in Liberia, whose president is descended from Georgia slaves. Judy Woodruff has a report on Carter's second day in Nigeria. President Carter is a Baptist, so is his Nigerian host. What more logical place for them to be on a Sunday morning in Lagos than in a Baptist church? Mr. Carter led a congregation of 500 in prayer. Let us strive ever more deeply to live according to the example which he has set. There was a crowd outside waiting to see the Carters leave with Nigeria's General Olusegun Obasanjo, who shed his military uniform today for native African robes. You see Amy Carter? Let me back this up. Here's Amy Carter. There was a crowd outside waiting to see the Carters leave with Nigeria's general... He's like, why the fuck do I have to hold this girl's hand? <laughs> uh, Amy Carter turned out to be a total radical, by the way. And she is not... I don't think she's digging holding this little girl's hand. Let's just keep going. Lucigen Obasanjo, who shed his military uniform today for native African robes. You see how she tried to force a smile? So this is the guy who's the general. And um, he's got on his more ceremonial garb. There's Rosin. There's Jimmy. Okay, here we go. We're going to get to the meat of this little news blip. After a round of diplomatic talks with the general, Mr. Carter headed to the water for a tour of a new port facility. Lagos has the busiest harbor in West Africa. The last thing on the president's schedule here was a state dinner, followed by the traditional polite diplomatic gesture, the signing of a joint communique. 
It emphasizes something the two leaders agree on, that they don't accept the plan of the white minority government in Rhodesia to turn control over to the blacks, a plan the U.S. has recently come down harder on because it doesn't involve black radicals. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Let me replay that for you. of the white minority government hold on let me get back a little further like gesture the signing of a joint communique it emphasizes something the two leaders agree on that they don't accept the plan of the white minority government in rhodesia to turn control over to the blacks a plan the u.s has recently come down harder on because it doesn't involve black radicals so if you heard that the u.s does not approve of the transitionary government in white minority Rhodesia to black majority Rhodesia because it doesn't include black radicals. That's what you heard. That is what you heard. Now, we're suffering from a slight form of cognitive dissonance here. Because those black radicals were both backed by either the Chinese or the Russians. So just keep that in mind. Those black radicals didn't just operate in a revolutionary void. They needed weapons. They needed money. They needed intel, right? So they were getting all of the above, including from North Korea, by the way. So the Carter administration, which supposedly, right, is more democratic. They're not open to having the black minority take over. That is not radicalized. They want them to be radicalized. And of course, the leader of Nigeria wants them to be radicalized as well, because the leader of Nigeria, he has no problem with the Russians and the Cubans being in Angola. Let's hear that part. Judy Woodruff, NBC News. Here, with let's the go press. back. Lagos has the busiest harbor in West Africa. The last thing on the president's schedule here was a state dinner, followed by the traditional polite diplomatic gesture, the signing of a joint communique. It emphasizes something the two leaders agree on, that they don't accept the plan of the white minority government in Rhodesia to turn control over to the blacks, a plan the U.S. has recently come down harder on because it doesn't involve black radicals. Judy Woodruff, NBC News. They don't agree in Angola. I mean, what the fuck? That's just weird. And that's because the CIA, who now has control of Carter, by the way, even though he kicked a bunch of them out when he, um, when he became president, they've got control over it. And they're running operations in Angola. So Carter, 
um, needs an enemy there. He needs the Russians. He needs the Cubans because the CIA is doing contract work. By the way, could you tell me how many more flags they can get here? Gesture, the signing of a joint communique. It emphasizes something the two leaders agree on, that they don't accept the plan of a white minority government in Rhodesia to turn control over to the blacks. All right, I'm going to come back to this, but I'm going to put a little more money on the meter so I don't run out. A little more money on the meter. I think we're scheduled to run out in about nine minutes. Let me go back to this video. I'm going to play you another very interesting clip on this video. And it shows you how much times have changed. Fucking Carter, man. Let's get those black radicals in Rhodesia. All right, so we're moving up here. And what are we talking about? We're talking about um, food prices. Food prices, inflation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, this is some, like, Hillside Strangler shit. They thought this guy was the Hillside Strangler. But he's not. This guy claimed that he and the other guy were the Hillside Strangler. But he's not. Why the fuck would somebody want to do that? Why would he want to do that? By the way, whatever happened to the white fro, it's gone. Also known as the Jew fro, it's gone. You never see this anymore. 70s, man. Here are the girls. I mean, these are literally girls, 17, 18, are the ones that were, I think this is Richard Ramirez, right? He's the guy. They eventually find him. Jesus. Creepy dude. Food prices, they're going up. Food prices are always going up. So this is a really interesting story. A little Mercury retrograde for you. I'm going to show you this story, and you're going to see how so much has changed here, it, particularly with the demographic. So I'll set the stage for you. They're looking at the cost of food and the unspoken cost of food. And I don't know if anything has changed. I am not a freight guy. But at this time, you had the, uh, the truckers who belonged to a union. And their union said that we're just responsible for getting it there. We're not responsible for unloading. 
we've done all this work and we're not being paid to unload it. So then you have Safeway and Safeway, their, their position is that they're not in the warehouse business. And they don't want to get involved with hiring warehouse people because then they got to deal with the union. So there's this weird kind of interzone between the truck and the dock. Now, I don't know if this has changed or not, but this is the way that it was in 1978. And a kind of a reality that I was not aware of. And I would assume that that has changed. And if it hasn't, I guarantee you, if you move the same model forward, the demographic would be radically changed. So let's watch this. This is kind of interesting. Warehouse put in their warehouse, but many of the drivers who roll into the yard are too tired from driving to spend four hours unloading. Besides, it's not in their contract. Then why doesn't Safeway unload the trucks themselves? Oh, we pay for the product. It's for delivery on the dock. It's as simple as that. We feel we've paid for it once, and we don't want to pay for it again. Enter the lumpers. These men, professional unloaders who work for themselves, not Safeway. And okay, so these guys are called lumpers. And they're not employed by Safeway. They're not employed by the trucking firm. They don't belong to a union. They don't have to pass any tests. Right, they're not given insurance, they show up. Safeway provides them with their coat and their hard hat, and that's it. So these guys are independent, and the trucker pays the lumpers. Check this out. And not the trucking company. They say they charge according to the load, but the cost is usually about $50 per trailer. A government regulation says the men have to wear hard hats and white smocks, so Safeway supplies them. But they make the men sign a waiver not to hold Safeway responsible if they get hurt on the job. So they're working for themselves. The lumper fills the gap in the distribution process, doing what the drivers say they don't want to do and what Safeway says it shouldn't have to do. Charlie Chase brings chickens to Safeway, and he says he usually unloads his own truck. The lumpers stay out of his way. Have you ever tried to unload and the lumper tell you that you got to pay him to unload? Uh, no, sir. No. What would you do if one told you that? Uh, they can't, uh, unless it's a union warehouse or something like that, and they're under union, they can't tell you that. And that's why the FBI and the Interstate Commerce Commission is looking at the lumpers. They want to make sure no one is doing any arm twisting when it comes to unloading. Tom Shulton just brought in thousands of pounds of beef. Yeah, Unloading is dirty, bloody work, and Shulton doesn't want to do it. So his company gives him a check for the lumpers. He cashes it and pays them. Or the company pays it, so you know it doesn't make any difference to me. So whether it's fifty or a hundred dollars, it really doesn't make any difference to you, right? Well, <laughs> well, because it's not coming out of my pocket. But if it was coming out of, out of my pocket, it'd make a difference. <laughs> and then you pay for it when you turn around and buy the meat at the store, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we were told that none of the lumpers who work here have to pass any kind of health examination or physical, but then neither do the regular employees. 
In the long run, Safeway says it's cheaper to let the lumpers continue to work. Since they're not company employees, the company doesn't have to pay vacation time, unemployment, workman's compensation, and sick time for the lumpers. But the trucker, independent driver, and big companies alike are paying, and the lumper cost is added to every trailer which backs up here. In the end, it's the consumer who pays for it all. Richard Anderson, News Center 4. All right. So they're paying those guys like $50 a truck. And there may be 10 lumpers per truck. That's what it looks like. So those guys are getting maybe $4. Because somebody is taking a cut off the top. Like the head lumper, the big lump, he's getting a cut, right? So maybe they have four or five trucks a day. So if you've got four trucks a day, what are you looking at? Like, not a lot of money. Five trucks a day, 20 bucks. $20 a day, five days a week, uh, $100 a week, $400 a month. Man, that's not a lot. Now, it is 1978, and a brand new car probably cost you about $3,900. So it's all relative. But what's interesting um, about that whole setup is the amount of what I would call deregulation. Like these guys are working in this um, kind of inner zone between uh, the union. And then Safeway, who does not want to pay for it and clearly does not want to be in the warehouse business because that sets them up for a whole different set of negotiations and uh, more price costs. Now, what's also interesting about the lumpers, if you were, if, if you're listening to this on the podcast side, is that the lumpers, and remember, this is Washington, D.C., that may... It may vary, right, based on city and demographic. But those lumpers were all black. If we, if there were still lumpers that did what would, and I don't think they do now. I think probably the unions have gotten involved. And so whoever is touching that meat is probably connected to a union. Right, so I don't even know if lumpers even exist anymore. If there, if there are some lumping experts out there who are willing to uh, share your expertise on on lumping, um, please do. But if there were lumpers now, I guarantee you, ninety percent of the time they would not be black. Those lumpers would be from Mexico, El Salvador. Puerto Rico, the DR, right? That's who the lumpers would be. And it's interesting to, you know, look at it from that perspective. And I'm not saying, you know, you should aspire to be a lumper in life. But those guys had jobs. Those were jobs. And they, they you know, the upside is that they kind of work for themselves, right? Like, like, I don't know where you go in the lumping hierarchy. 
maybe maybe you wind up organizing your own lumpers and you get a slice of the action. But at the very least, they you know they're working for themselves. Like there is something about working and taking pride in what you do. Like that meat does not get from refrigerated truck to Safeway without the lumpers. They're an essential part of that operation. They fulfill a, 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 a significant function. No lump, no meat. And, and again, my question is, and, I, and I, I, it just, these things were spinning in my head last night as, as I was watching this. Like who replaced the lumpers? You go back and look at uh, construction crews from that same period of time. What are you going to find on construction crews? You're going to find a pretty mixed batch. A lot of construction workers, especially in places like Detroit, were black. course you have working class whites you know we're talking about a blue collar um workforce mostly drawn from so-called whites and so-called blacks that's all gone now and i and and you know people will say well you know the the migrants will do work that other people won't do yes and no Yes and no. I would say that even if it seems like hauling slabs of meat, hey, at the very least, those are refrigerated trucks, right? In the sweltering heat of a Baltimore summer, you might be moving some, you know, some slabs of meat and sticking them on hooks and moving them into a, again, a refrigerated warehouse. Could be worse. Could be worse. But at the very least, those guys had some residual of pride, right? That they were actually doing something, making an honest day's labor, no matter what you think of how much it was or the conditions or whatever. And that has been stolen and in some and eradicated in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that we should send every migrant worker back because a lot of them are highly skilled. And, but what, it, what it's done is it, and if, and if I were the so-called black community, I would be happy. You know, I would not be happy that all of a sudden this, this group has been given um, to some extent more opportunities than Again, if you if you look at the sort of the black workforce, I was I was looking at uh, Larry Elder's autobiography last night because I tried to I was trying to figure out like who is Larry Elder, where did he come from, and he came from a family of three three brothers. He grew up in Crenshaw, California. Um, his father was a sergeant, I believe, in World War II. And was a tough guy, strict. Um, and he he just, you know, he did what he had to do in order to get by. And eventually, I think, he opened a cafe. 
you know, whatever that is, maybe coffee, sandwiches. I, I don't know what, what, what uh, you know, what was passing for a cafe in Crenshaw, California in the 1960s. But he was, you know, again, he's emblematic of his father's emblematic of somebody, right? Moves to California, second wave of great migration. I think he, he gets a McJob. That McJob would now have been done by somebody from another country or culture. Then he starts a cafe. He actually works at the cafe, maybe employs his kids. I don't know the full extent of that. But again, that would look very different these days. And I think his mother worked for a museum or something like that. And Larry Elder's really smart. He's a sharp, sharp guy. But this ability to get into the workforce and learn a trade, apply a trade, that has been hollowed out. And not just for Black Americans, but for all Americans. And you would say, well, Americans wouldn't want to do I'm not so sure about that. I'm really not that so sure about it, you know, because the, the trades um, in certain families are passed down. Like if you were, I don't know, uh, Italian, right. And, you know, you, you would do whatever it took, you, you know, work with meat or textiles, fabrics, whatever, right. There's a really good chance that somewhere in your brood, you would have one or two of your offspring that would be interested in the same thing. And if it's not a family business, then it's like, where are they going to go? Right. And I guess the idea is like, well, you know, Maslow says you could just work your way up the pyramid and eventually your hands don't have to get dirty. All you need to do is know how to code. Right. Isn't that the ultimate trip up Maslow's pyramid? Just, ah, just learn how to code. And then these other groups of people can then start their journey up Maslow's pyramid, right? Well, maybe, maybe. I, you know, it's not an easy situation to resolve because let's be honest and fair, people from other countries absolutely add value to our experience. You know, I, I drive down the road here in Texas, it's 110 degrees out. 109 degrees out, probably 125 on the road. And who do you think is out on the road? Well, it's not guys that look like me or younger. Right? And they're out there every fucking day. Right. So, you know, tip of the cap to you because you're adding value to what now could that be done by other people who aren't from Jalisco or aren't from El Salvador? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but maybe these guys are the best group of people to be able to do that. Right? Maybe functionality-wise, they may be the best. Like I don't, I don't have an issue with the value that other cultures can bring to our experience. And you live in Texas, and the Texas story and the Mexican story are kind of one and the same in a lot of ways. 
there's it, it's all it's all this melange of you know people that work and live together it's not that big a deal but on the other hand right like it, that part of what we can experience has been hollowed out there, there you know you've got people that are working at McDonald's and they want $20 an hour and you know flipping a burger is a career path and it's really not I've talked about this before. Um, you know, you used to be able to, if you were young and you were ambitious, you could go around to people's homes and offer your services up to mow their lawn and trim the edges of the lawn. Guess who's going to do that now? You know, Manuel's going to do that now. And he'll do a great job. Don't get me wrong. He'll do a great job. But again, it's that's something that I grew up with. I actually did that. I would take my push mower and my rake and my edger and my broom, and I would go house to house. And I'd ask people if they need their lawn mower. And I would, I'd get business. I'd charge them five bucks. And I would do a good job. I enjoyed pushing the lawn mower. I enjoyed the patterns. It's a very Virgo thing to do. You don't do that now. You don't see that now. Um, paper routes. Yeah, some people still take the paper. They still take the paper. In cities, papers are still delivered. In LA, I guarantee you, people get the LA Times delivered. New York, you probably get the New York Times delivered, although there's enough newsstands you can get it. Um, but people still get the paper delivered. Those jobs are not held down by kids on bikes anymore. And those jobs are held down by people with cars, and a lot of the a lot of the paper routes are are done. But guess what, migrants? I, I started seeing that in California, and I think one of the first times I saw it was, I think it was like a Filipino family, and they had all these routes, like they had a route mafia, and they had cars, so they could you know bang it out, do it fast, boom, done. Right. And then they could go off and work their jobs, which is true. This is what they would do. So, again, we're talking about this kind of evolutionary path where people could get a foot in the door or earn an honest wage. Or, and again, I think it's had a bit of a deleterious effect. And I'm not saying that this group of people have not added to the value of our lives. They have. But you also have to look at the fact that it is it is made another part of our society slightly deficient and somewhat entitled. That's the other side of it. And um, I guarantee you, those lumpers would not be the same today. They just wouldn't. So a bit of a mercury retrograde look at the past and a probably a job that just doesn't exist anymore. And if it does, it's it's uh, not the same, not the same group, or not even the same logistics or or regulations. And there are people who say, "Well, just stop eating meat." Well, if you stop eating meat, then the lumpers would definitely go away. Um, let me just play a little Martin Wyatt. But here here's here's Pat Buchanan, little commercial for Pat Buchanan getting his start on the radio. Per cost is added to every trailer which backs up here. In the end, it's the consumer who pays for it all. 
Richard Anderson, News Center 4. Tina Galland on the Federal Beat for WRC All News 98. I'm Pat Buchanan. I'm Tom Brady, and this is Confrontation. The stock market took a long way to turn upward today. I'm Frank Barnico, and here's the business. There you go, Pat Buchanan is AM Radio Roots. All right, let me just play a little bit of my man, uh, Martin Wyatt. Uh, the, the coolest uh, sportscaster in the business. Oh, this is a fun little story. It's your weather. This is, a, this, is, this is interesting. This is about the Oscars. And this is a story about the woman who won the very first Oscar and she's giving the Oscar away to uh, the woman who's going to win for best actress. And all the films are about women, right? It's not best actress in an ensemble film. These are roles where the lead actor was a woman. It's kind of an interesting take from 1970. Let me play this. You, you got, this will be interesting. You guys will dig it. Hollywood is getting ready to hand out its biggest awards, the Oscars. Martin Wyatt has sports, including the Caps and Bullets games, and some winners and losers in today's Cherry Blossom Marathon. I bought an economy car, a nice little car. Of course, I gave up big car ride. I bought a smaller car, gave up a lot of passenger room, but with the prices going up and up, you've got to give up and up. Well, I didn't give up. I bought this Valari four-door. I got the big car ride he gave up, the room for six he gave up, plus the compact economy they didn't give up. So why didn't they? This is when cars were just pieces of shit. None of them around him. All right, here we go. Let's do this. Bank of Maryland. Convenience too with your free Citizens Bank Master Charge card. Stop. Thank you, man. All right, let's get to this story. Here's the Oscar story. The most potent anti-cancer drug ever made. An agent so lethal it kills hundreds of millions of cancers. Oh, it's an anti-cancer drug. Cells in laboratory mice with a single dose. The new drug, called azetamycin, is only in the early stages of animal safety testing, and its effectiveness in humans is unknown. Researchers from the University of California at San Francisco said the drug might be years away from human tests. The first Academy Awards were given out 50 years ago. Tomorrow night, the Hollywood film community continues the tradition, and Jim Brown reports that the Glitter City is getting ready. Yeah, this black screen is not the the uh, transmission going dark on Monday. ...and see the demonstrations. They'll watch Hollywood's finest arrive. And this year, the Best Actress Oscar takes on special meaning because all the nominees are in films about women. Anne Bancroft and Shirley MacLaine in The Turning Point. Jane Fonda in Julia. Diane Keaton in Annie Hall. And Marsha Mason as the goodbye girl. An actor.
1928, many heroines were sweet and sentimental, and this role in Seventh Heaven helped give Janet Gaynor the first Oscar for a woman. Miss Gaynor doesn't like what comes off the screen now. You know, I think the whole thing has uh, deteriorated a bit. I don't mean to make an all-over statement like that, because, of course, there still are good writers, but it just seems to me that the language itself has deteriorated so, and that uh, to portray the kind of people that speak the way they're supposed to speak, you know, it's, it's limited. I think the roles that people play and the types. Despite that feeling toward... It's really interesting, right? Because from Janet Gaynor's perspective, this is the 1970s, and some people would say that this is kind of the height of, you know, these great actresses at, at the height of their powers, right? Jane Fonda, Shirley MacLaine, I guess you could throw Marsha or something like that. Uh, Diane Keaton, it's like, wow, really? Really? You know, and Annie Hall, written by Woody Allen, right? Uh, Fred Zinneman, I think he produced uh, uh, the, uh, the Jane Fonda movie. Um, anyway, and she's saying that it's degraded from her time. And we're looking back on those movies and we're looking back at where we are now and clearly we see it's degraded too right so this whole idea of degradation through through generation i think is not only plausible but but valid and um and every generation looks around and goes ah oh, yeah they're kind of losers But I think really, if we, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to go as far back and look at, you know, the, the silent movie dialogue for Janet Gaynor, or when she started to, you know, do talkies, and then match that up against the dialogue written by Woody Allen. I'm not going to do that, but I can guarantee you that the movies of 2023 and the movies of 1978 are vastly different in terms of character and content. And I'm pretty objective. And in most cases, I would say not better. All right, that's just an interesting look, right? Like the, the, the uh, sort of the degradation of content from one generation to the next. Temporary films. Tomorrow night, Janet Gaynor will bridge 50 years of a... All right. It's like a little folk festival here. This is an ancient mountain toy has a history of well over 200 years and if you say gee it goes in that direction and if you say haw it goes in that direction yeah. okay Wooden wooden toy. Thinking wrong. Wood carving. Some other items in the news tonight. Former President Gerald Ford canceled a I wanna go. I wanna go to that bed. Okay.
Let's look at my guy, Martin Wyatt, just for a minute. This guy is one of the slickest sportscasters ever. Check him out. Packet that meets the eye. Martin Wyatt has a world of sports for us, and with no further chit-chat, here he is. We have to start with the, the Capitals. They played the probably the best team in sports, and you would have thought that they had just won the Stanley Cup. Over 12,000 fans went wild at the Cap Center. They tied Montreal. That is the first time in four years and 24 meetings that the Canadians have not walked away a winner. Four all is the tie, and as I said, it looked like for a while that Montreal was going to rout them. The fans had barely sat down when Steve Shutt blasted a 50-footer pass. Yeah, now if you're paying attention, most of these hockey players the are not wearing helmets. Some are, some are. Helmets optional. Power play on the Caps gave up a gimme. Serge Savard set up Doug Jarvis beautifully. It was 2-0 Montreal. A little pairing up near the end of the first period seemed to fire the Caps up, and they opened the second with a bang. Rookie Robert Picard off of Sharon's feed after a face-off. His 10th goal of the year was 2-1 to one, Montreal. Four minutes later, Gary Meehan took the puck off of Jacques Lemire's stick. Meehan streaked to the goal with ace Bailey. Nice Taylor. goal. Bailey picks up the goal. It's 2-all, tied. Lemire now angry about losing the puck. He comes right back and he beats Bedard with a 22-footer. He gets his 36, his 3-2 Montreal. The Caps still fighting back. Guy Chiron takes a nice pass from Sirwa, a 25-footer, his 37th. That's a new club record. It's 3-all. Now, this is the best team in hockey. When they need a goal, they go to Guy Lafleur. Lafleur got his 58, a nice assist. It was 4-3 Montreal. With 3.33 left in the game, Rick Green with a hard shot. Tom Rowe in the slot tips it, and it's 4-4. The benches and the fans go wild. They did not win the Stanley Cup, but a big moral victory for the Caps. Four all tie with Montreal. Brian Trottier's 45th goal for the Islanders. They have a five-point edge over the Flyers in the Patrick division. They down to You know it's a slow night in sports bomb playoff. when you lead with the Capitals tie. All right, so here's Martin on golf. Not even a citizen of this country is now $40,000 richer. And on the women's tour, their richest prize has gone north. Canadian Sandra Post took the winner's circle. So along with Severiano Ballesteros winning the Greater Greensboro Open, and a lot of bucks are leaving this country. A lot of bucks leaving yeah, this country. Let's get into the marathon part. This is where Martin really shines. He's going to diss the bullets they lose. They're losers. They lose to the Knicks. And here's the marathon part. This, this is where Martin gets ready. Oh, tennis. You little tennis. For just seven minutes to polish off his rival, 6-3, 6-3 straight sets. Gary Elitis is getting a complex. He says he wants more than anything else to defeat Borg. Brian Godfrey took the Dayton Pro Classic with a 2-6-6-5-7-6 margin over Eddie Dibbs. Godfrey, $15,000 richer. Dibbs, a $7,500 loser. In the Slims Championship Tournament in Oakland, Martina Navratilova defeated Yvonne Gulagong 7-6-6-4. The first set, a tiebreaker, went to Martina 5-love. That win was worth $50,000. And the Long Beach Grand Prix, Argentina's Carlos Redeman, the winner. You get the champion Mario Andretti. The sixth annual Cherry Blossom Classic attracts some of the top long-distance runners in this country. The field included some, oh, over 70. And there was an eight-year-old and a huge contingent of women. In fact, this field rivals that of the famed Boston Marathon. One man who, however, stood head and shoulders above the rest, Bill Rogers. He left the pack in his dust. 
He won in a record 48 minutes and 57 seconds. This is Rogers' third win in the Cherry Blossom. In 75, he set the American record for the Boston Marathon. So records are not new to Rogers, but he said that he had help in setting today's mark. He was pushed a little bit. And I must admit that I'm a jogger. My secret ambition is to run and a marathon. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give them a plug here. The D.C. Lung Association Celebrate Celeb Race goes next Sunday, and I'm going to run it. It starts at 1.30 at the Ellipse. Martin Wyatt, okay, give himself thanks. a little marathon plug. My goal is to run in a marathon. Um, anyway, just a different time altogether, right? And some interesting juxtapositions. The Carter thing really got my attention. He fucking hung the Rhodesians up and dry. That son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Meanwhile, he's making a big fuss about the Angolans and the Russians and the, and the Cubans. Like, give me a break. As far as last night goes in the debate, all you need to know is that Donald Trump uh, was head and shoulders above everybody on that stage with the exception of Vivek Ramaswamy, who is not really to be trusted. I don't really trust the guy, um, but I'll tell you right now, he is angling to become vice president. Vivek, Vivek is angling to become vice president. And outside of Tucker Carlson being Trump's vice presidential candidate, that's gonna be the guy. And do I think Trump will run? In 2024, absolutely. Do I think these indictments are going to do anything? No. No. Because he has immunity. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Now, the people below him, there have been 10 people that have been indicted. Um, I think I have Sidney Powell's uh, mugshot here. On my computer, let me see if I can find it. Here's Sydney Powell's mugshot. It looks weird, doesn't it? It almost looks fake. Everything looks fake now. But that's supposedly her mugshot because she had to turn herself in. Jenna Ellis, same deal. Rudy Giuliani, have you seen his mugshot? Rudy Giuliani, I was talking with uh, one AI about this last night. Rudy Giuliani knows where all the bodies are buried with 9-11. All of them. There's a reason why Rudy Giuliani has not done any time or faced any real trial. He's got the kill switch. Rudy Giuliani has the kill switch for 9-11. And I'd be very surprised if he even takes the stand. And most of these people, if they are forced to take the stand, it, and it is a grand jury, 
So the grand jury, if you don't take the stand, you are imprisoned immediately. You can be imprisoned for taking the fifth. And I remember like when they had a grand jury and Barry Bonds, his trainer, who was really his uh, steroid supplier and the guy that, that monitored all his levels, he never spoke. He always took the fifth and then he would go back to jail, right? And I'm betting that that guy is taken care of for life. He never had to work another day once they just said he's not going to crack. They'll, they'll just send him back to, to county, which is where they, they sent him. Um, never broke. But if these people take the fifth, that's what will happen to them. They will put them in general population. And the thought of maybe somebody like Rudy Giuliani being put into general population, even though I know that he's, Rudy Giuliani's got the kill switch. He has it. He knows where all the bodies are buried in 9-11. You know, and if I were Rudy Giuliani, I, 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 would, I would make a very simple connection with Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, right? Um, what's his name? Uh, the other, the other guy, I forget his name. The the one who got kicked out of his out of his own publication. Maybe Barry Weiss. Like I make sure that all these people had keys, and then you don't know what the keys are for. But if something happens to me, you will know what those keys are for. And you'll be given instructions as to what to do with them. That is where the bodies are buried. And if I were Rudy Giuliani, that's exactly what I would do. And it wouldn't be just one person. And if they were smart, they would know that. This is how you play the game. And that's why I don't think anything will happen to him. Now, the other people, you never know. Jenna, Jenna Ellis doesn't have that kind of security. Sidney Powell may not have that kind of security. So the idea for them is to crack and to admit to things that may or may not even be true. So we have that circus ahead of us. Look, I think Trump will run. I don't think he's going to jail. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think any of this circus is going to derail the Trump train. Now, if we have an election, and I do believe we'll have an election, the only thing that might be able to derail the Trump train one more time is if there is, again, widespread cheating which is possible you know they have they're working on this thing right now right i mean they are they're way downstream of this stuff way downstream we're kind of reacting in real time sometimes we get a little ahead of the curve 
we throw in a little astrology, we see some cycles, some trends, some things pop, boom. Okay, we're a little ahead of the curve. But they're way ahead of the curve. Every now and then they have to make it up as they go if something doesn't go right. But they're already deep into 2024. You, you, can, you can bank on that. Okay, I think that's it for today. Um, thanks for being here. We still have time off. Martin Wyatt. See. Yep, six minutes. Thanks for being here. Get yourself some good CBD from truehemscience.com. That's with Chris, our sponsor, who is um, going to be at the event this year. He was there last year. He always sets up a kiosk so you can uh, try his products, uh, have some emulsified moon dust. I, I, I do recommend that you don't take too much of it. It could make you a little light on your feet, so to speak. But he'll be here, and um, he's a great guy. And I, I may even have him come up and, and uh, do a little talk about uh, the moon dust. Uh, Leela is going to be here. Uh, man, this is going to be so – we're going to have so much content at this event. I'm, I'm – you know, Shauna – She's going to do a great presentation. It's an amazing presentation. Dr. Narco Wongo is going to show up and, you know, we're going to do something with him. Um, I'll be presenting. We're going to have Darlena uh, dive into eclipses and human design, right? So you're going to be on, this is going to be cutting, a lot of this is going to be cutting edge material. Um, Sean has got a friend who lives in Dripping Springs with this oscillator device, some you know, Russian, um, you know, you know, super interesting med tech stuff. It's going to be really cool, really fun. We're going to have Mark S doing caricatures, live, not live music. We'll have music, we'll have great food, great company, camaraderie, companionship. It's going to be a super, super time. So we have so much talent on board that I'm going to have to be way more schedule-oriented and regimented than we usually are because there's so much to fit in during this weekend. So please join us if you can. Go to End of the Hills and see if they have any rooms left. We'll have to call them up today, see what's happening. All right, thanks for being here. By the way, if you go to truehempscience.com, type in 15MINS when you check out, you'll get free product as a result of that little tiny code, 15MINS and you won't regret it. All right, thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you for putting up with me and being on the tardy side of things. Um, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow for an abbreviated um, Friday forecast. I'm gonna have Daniel Aaron on my show, who's an astrologer that lives in Maui. And we're gonna have a kind of a pre-record tonight and uh, we'll get into uh, what his experience is over there. So look forward to that. All right, you take care. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow over on 15, uh, the Friday forecast. Bye for now.